0: Name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a pious legend that circulated amongst the church fathers that when Jesus Christ um, was on the cross dying, he prayed all 150 psalms. You know, we won't know for some time if that's true or not, but we do know that of all the scripture Jesus could have quoted on the cross, he did quote from the Psalms. From Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, being steeped in the Jewish tradition, learning the faith from his mother and his father, from those around him, probably knew all the Psalms. And being a good teacher, probably knew them by heart. So it stands to reason that he could have prayed them all while he was dying on the cross. What else would have occupied his mind but the things that shaped his life and his heart? These were things that would, be, would have been the experience of any good Jewish teacher. And I venture to guess that Jesus passed down... Um, this knowledge of the Scriptures, and especially of praying the Psalms to his apostles. You know. And as the church went forth uh, from the day of Pentecost onward and they continued to meet in the temple and to pray, they prayed the old standard prayers that the Jews would always pray, which included the Psalms. Fast forward um, two or three centuries, St. Jerome tells us that even... The plowmen, plowing with their oxes, would sing the psalms as they would go about plowing. You know, I mean, plow, people plowing with oxen like to sing to their animals to get a rhythm of plowing. And at that time, it wasn't just the Jews praying the psalms, but it was beginning to spread to all the known Christian world. And So as they would go about their work, the plowers would sing the psalms because their hearts were being shaped by the psalms and by this continual um, cycle of praying the great prayers that the Jewish people had handed down. The Psalms quickly became the hymn book of the Christian church, and it continued on and on and on. St. Benedict, in his rule for monks, gives detailed instructions on how the Psalms ought to be prayed in the course of a week over and over and over and over again. Some psalms prayed every day. Um, you know, for example, Psalms 4, 31, 91, and 134 prayed every every night. Psalm 95 prayed every morning, and then all the rest of them prayed throughout the week. And so he gave this instruction to the monks so that they too would be shaped by the psalms, so their hearts would be formed, and so they would know all these things by heart. In fact, most monks over time did know all the psalms uh, by heart. And, and Benedict, it's interesting to note too, when he set about this rule, looked at himself as being lazy because he was only praying the psalms once a week. He said that the fathers, you know, he's writing in the 5th century, the fathers prayed the psalms every day, all 150 every single day, and that they were a bunch of slackers for doing them every week. And so for a thousand years, the monks of the church prayed the Psalms week after week after week after week, and hearts were shaped, and the whole course of a civilization was formed because people were praying the same words, and those words shaping hearts and minds and lives. And over time, it was really just people in the monasteries praying these psalms. And as Thomas Cramner, the, the architect of, of this prayer book, said about reshaping uh, the church's liturgy, he thought it would be a good idea for everybody to pray the psalms. He, he knew that the simple plowman of his time... Um, And the millers and the peasantry maybe couldn't pray them every day, couldn't pray them in a cycle every week, but they could easily be prayed every month. And so he instructed his clergy and people to pray the psalms, to gather every morning, to hear from the scriptures, but most especially from the psalms, and say them in a cycle over a month, every 30 days, all the psalms, over and over and over again. And that has been the um, standard for the Anglican Church um, for the past 400-plus years. The Psalms have shaped the Jewish people, the Christian Church, the Anglican Church, and have become very, very important. And that's why every time we gather, we pray at least one, usually two or three psalms. That's why every morning we pray these psalms. The scheme um, that St. Benedict gave us of praying Psalms 4, 31, 91, and 134, the church still prays every night. Because we understand, like St. Benedict did, that if we continue to pray these things, our hearts are going to be shaped in such a way that we're going to be directed towards God and know Him more and love Him more. And that as all these things come in from outside and try to deform us, um, we're going to be shaped right. And we're going to know the right things so we can be the right people and make all the difference for God um, that we can. And even though we say the Psalms at every service, um, we Anglicans do, and most churches Um, in fact, say psalms at every service. You don't really hear a lot of sermons about the psalms. And I don't know why that is. Sometimes they're just seen as responses to the Epistle or the Old Testament, but you will hear very few sermons on them. And perhaps that's okay, because they're still shaping us and forming us. And I hope that you're not just praying the psalms here on Sundays, and Sunday mornings, but that you're integrating them into every day. When I first got a prayer book, um, which was the 1979 edition, I I looked in it, and I would go through, and I would see those psalms printed in the back, and it would say, you know, like, for example, the 13th day morning prayer, Psalm 68. And no one ever explained to me what that meant, but that just meant on the 13th day, for morning prayer, you'd pray Psalm 68. and So it goes on for the thirteenth day, evening, and the fourteenth day, on and on and on. The Anglican ethos is formed with the Psalms. Our prayer is based on the prayers that Christians and Jews have always prayed. And it's so important. Whether we preach on it or not, we are being formed and shaped by the psalms. And the psalms express every um, sort of emotion and yearning and desire and anti-desire that a person could have. They are vital to the Christian experience. And that is why we pray them over and over and over and over again. That's why when you go to a monastery, you'll find them praying them seven times a day, over and over again every day, every week, every year uh, until Christ comes again. And I venture to guess we'll keep praying them even after them. So I say all those things um, to say this. Psalms 93 and 94 which we prayed this evening really struck a chord this week um, as we continue the daily battle Um, who is king and who is not king. And Psalms 93 and 94, again, reassert, like so many psalms, that it is the Lord who is king, that it is Christ that is king, it is God who is king, and no one else. And the heathens may rage, and they may plot vanity after vanity, um, in the words of Psalm 2. But it's Christ who is king. And there may be chaos all around us like the seas, but God stands atop the seas and brings orders to the chaos of the seas because he's king and because he reigns triumphant. Mm -hmm. And more so than ever, I feel, that Christians need to remember that Christ is king, that the Lord is king, and there is no other king. And we need to believe this without compromise because we are being bombarded with message after message saying that there are other kings and alternate kings, mm-hmm. and we need to submit ourselves to those kings. You all know me pretty well, most of you, anyway. And you know that I have a car without a radio, and I try to use 8 bit computers, and I don't watch TV because I do not want to be bombarded with messages that tell me that Christ is not king, but you cannot avoid it. Everywhere we go, people are trying to tell us that there are other kings and other gods we ought to bow down to. And that's why I need the Psalms. That's why I need to go to them every day and pray and pray and pray and get down on my knees and pray that cycle, whether it's the um, monthly cycle or the weekly cycle or the daily cycle. I need them to remember that Christ is our Lord and Christ is our King and there is no other. This past week, some dribbling old fool who happens to be the senator of Vermont said that Christians were not fit to serve in government. And i got to tell you something. He is 100% right. And he (laughs) understands it Completely. He gets what's at stake. That we do not bow down to the state. We don't serve the state. We have no king but Christ. He has no king but Caesar. And his type have no God but the state. And they will pinch their incense daily to him. We will not. And he gets it. So I'm not really mad at him. What shocks me and stuns me is how many Christians would follow that fool. We have no king but Christ. We cannot afford to pinch even the smallest piece of incense to the state because great things are at stake. Mercy, peace, justice, freedom all these things are in the balance. And if Christians are not bowing down to Christ, everything will be lost. It will be thrown into tyranny for God only knows how long. So that's why we pray these prayers. That's why we look to the Psalms and we don't change change things. That's kind of why we pray the same hymns every night the Magnificat, and the Nunc because they're shaping our hearts. They are teaching us that there's no other God but God. There's no other King but Christ, and these are the things that we need to know now more than ever. I know it's just nine of us in a room, but it only took twelve men to change the world. So nine, nine with the Holy Ghost. Is plenty. Nine with the Holy Ghost and a prayer book and some psalms. We'll get the job done. Just keep praying. Keep praying. Filling up, Filling up those bowls full of prayers and incense to our true king. Our true king, excuse me. Christ. And pray. Pray that we remain strong. And pray. God, hallowed be your name your kingdom come. Amen. Amen.